I'm Kate Daniels. A conversation about concussions, traumatic brain injury, and PTSD is always important because it happens too often in various kinds of situations. And as we'll hear from my guest, Lynn Julian, there are times we really need to be our own advocate. We need to learn, to seek, and be ready to stand up and hold strong. Let's meet this strong and determined woman and discover some interesting things that could make a difference in our own life or the lives of persons that we know. Lynn Julian, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. I am just floored in awe, amazed at your life over this whole 2000, uh, almost two decades now, all that you've endured is just really earth-shattering and phenomenal at the same time. And I think that maybe the more recent, five years ago, uh, being in the vicinity of the Boston Marathon when those two bombs went off is probably one of those epic times and uh, responsible for so much of your life and challenges right now. Absolutely. I want to create awareness about the long-lasting effects of TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury, and clear up some misconceptions that people have about it and explain some of the lingering side effects that may last a lifetime from it. And the thing is, you have then been living with this since that time, these last five years, but that is compounding what had happened to you earlier uh, in 2000. What was it, 2006, I think? 2006. And, and that was actually your first encounter, your first experience of having a traumatic brain injury. Isn't that right? Well, it is the first time I was diagnosed, and that's eventually, which is one of the reasons that I do try to create awareness through interviews and articles and, and public speaking is, is even then I lost consciousness on stage and I was not diagnosed with a concussion or a brain injury. I spent a year just being treated as if it was a mental health issue and sent to therapist after therapist and put on medications. And no one thought to think, well, maybe we should treat her as if she has a brain injury. She has all the symptoms of it. And that was the same with the marathon attack. Uh, it took, the marathon attack was on 4-15-2013. And I, I thought, because I knew what symptoms I had, I knew, well, let me just address the symptoms. The symptoms are you're in an immediate brain fog. You went from having a, a healthy perspective and feeling like yourself to an immediate feeling of this, what I imagine feels like dementia. Um, Oftentimes your hearing's altered. I heard as if I was underwater for months. Uh, You feel extremely nauseous to the point of possibly vomiting just all of a sudden. Um, You can have severe ringing in your ears that's as loud as any voice in the room. uh, Your balance and your walking can become sort of drunken. There's very specific signs of head injury. Uh, Your speech might be slurred, but it might not. And even though I'm presenting with all these signs, oh, and and mood swings, you can go from 
all day long from crying to getting frustrated and uh, angry and, and verbally lashing out back and forth, back and forth all day long. And even though you can present with all these symptoms, doctors were still not in 2006 or in 2013 diagnosing me with brain injury. And I am dedicating my life to creating awareness about traumatic brain injury or TBI in the hopes that diagnosis happens easier and earlier for everyone else because the first two months after your head injury are the most important two months of your healing for the rest of your life. There's this magic window in the two months after a head injury that you can follow what they call the concussion protocol and do a great deal of healing. And if you miss that two months, you could just make yourself even worse by staring at screens too often, reading too much, all these little things that are going to strain your brain and, and make it harder to heal. And if we can create this awareness, I know that things are going to change. And why do you feel that this went undiagnosed for all this time? Because certainly the awareness about concussions and what they do to to us, we certainly pay attention to it in sports. Why do you think it was right. then overlooked? Well, in specifically uh, in the, the marathon attack, just to uh, defend all the doctors who are not here to defend themselves, I, I definitely want to speak up for them and say that I doubt they had an education on blast force trauma while they were in medical school. Why would they? Unless you went into the military as a doctor or a nurse in the military, you wouldn't be dealing with blast force trauma, which is when an explosion happens close enough to you and a big enough explosion that it can cause a brain injury without you being hit by anything. And that's what I kept getting asked by doctors after the marathon attack was, did a, a large piece, a chunk of something hit you in the head? And it did not. And so they just kept ruling out brain injury because I didn't get hit in the head with a large object or uh, get blown to the ground and crash my head against the ground. And those were the only two ways they could think of that you got a head injury. And uh, now I am very happy to report under the worst possible circumstances that there was an attack this year. And the first thing that the media reported from the medical community was that people were being treated for blast force trauma. And as horrible as it was to hear that there was an attack, which that's part of the severe PTSD you live with, any attack on anyone else, anywhere else in the world becomes very personal and very frightening to you for the rest of your life. And at least that's the way it is for me and many other survivors in, in the community that I interact with. But they, I'm sorry, here's another symptom of TBI. You lose your train of thought all the time. And it could be mid-sentence in a casual conversation and you don't know what you were talking about. It's almost like an etch-a-sketch. Your brain just shook a little and erased every thought you had. 
and it's terribly unnerving and embarrassing, as you might imagine, because you don't have to be, like, nervous or performing for this to happen. It happens at home. It happens just because you don't know why it happens. And then the person can give you a word or two, for me at least, thank God, to clue me back in and say, this is what we're talking about. But you have to learn to laugh at it. <laughs> that sounds l- yeah. like some some good medicine is to think about oh. laughter. <laughs> Otherwise, oh, yeah. uh, the the other side of that coin is is pretty. I spent, I spent many years crying, and it did me no good. In fact, I'm quite sure it hurt my brain more. It caused more damage. And laughter actually releases happy chemicals into your brain. It's almost like you're giving it a glass of wine or what what you before brain injury how you would have relaxed in your own way whatever that was it's like you did that just by laughing and laughter really is actual scientific medicine what i appreciate lynn and you said you know you are your mission it seems is to be educating and bringing awareness and i great deal of encouragement and I just appreciate the way that you're approaching this in such an even-handed way acknowledging that you know that some of this information just wasn't available like to the doctors so to bring that information to us I feel is so critical and helps us to you know look at ourselves look at family members friends and be able to share that information share what your story and what your findings are thank you very much i i'm putting it out into the universe i don't know how to make it happen but i i do radio interviews and magazine interviews just one person at a time i talk to one person at a time and i always get thank God, the same reaction. They're very open and welcome. And they tell me that they learned so much and they're so happy we did this. And I'm grateful to be given a voice. But at the same time, I think, why can't I reach more people at a time? I would love universe to to be able to just talk to larger groups of people and especially medical professionals, because then I'm not only helping them, I'm somehow remotely helping every person that they're going to see in the future that ends up with a concussion. I would love to just be able to talk to larger groups and and more pertinent groups of medical professionals and uh, brain injury survivors. And you have done some of that, have you not, with medical professionals? I have done very limited, you know, people will come up and it's like one doctor at a time, one nurse at a time. I'm sort of like a broken record when it comes to talking about TBI and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which often tend to go hand in hand and people don't realize that either. You can have PTSD from one car accident. There are levels. It's sort of like autism, I guess that there's a spectrum of PTSD from completely disabling to highly functional. And that's an important piece of awareness for us as well, because this is where maybe someone is able to um, recover to a greater degree than someone else. But it's not like uh, having a case of the flu where you get over it. This is something, right? right? Thank you 
so much for bringing that up. That is one of the biggest misconceptions of all, that people think there's a, an expiration date on your, your brain injury or your PTSD, and they think, well, give her the two months, and after the two months, she's going to be her old self again. Well, that didn't happen. Okay, a year. Let's give her a year. God knows that seems like forever, but if she needs it, let her take it. And then the year comes up, and you meet you know, your family, you meet with your doctor, they all have expectations that somehow like you have, you're on this timer and the egg is going to be cooked at some point and you just keep being you. And it actually got to the point where I was sent away from the rehab facility in Boston because they said at a year and a half to two years, we are required to tell patients that they will not heal any further, that brain injury stops healing at one and a half to two years. And that took away all my hope. And I just went home and cried for days. I couldn't believe that A, a doctor took away all my hope and B, that I was never going to get any better. It was devastating. And I let myself, this is another good thing that I try to teach people with PBI, give yourself a chance to grieve. Celebrate every little victory every day because that'll make you happy. And then when something goes wrong, give yourself a chance to grieve about that. Say, I'm going to let myself be upset about this tonight, maybe tomorrow if I need to. And then I'm going to pull up my pants like a big girl and I'm going to figure out what I can do about it. So I went to clinicaltrials.gov and I looked up clinical trials for brain injury and I signed up for one. It had hyperbaric oxygen therapy. They call it HBOT. And the reason that I can talk to you so clearly right now is because of Dr. Paul Hart in New Orleans and HBOT. And as soon as I got back from that clinical trial two months later, I went right back to the rehab facility and I made my doctor look at me walk and listen to me talk. And it was undeniable, irrefutable that I was much, much better, even two years later. And so they started a clinical trial at the Boston Hospital for brain injury using HBOT. And I could not be more thrilled. HBOT would be effective for people even who had, you know, thought, well, mine was five years ago. Go still try it. And my thought is that you have some kind of incredible spirit within you, that drive, I guess perhaps it's survival, that you did not accept what was told to you and you kept searching and look at what happened and now that they're doing the trials in Boston. I mean, you're really an incredible champion. Oh, thank you so much. I feel humbled by the task put before me. I feel like it's an impossible task to educate the world about concussions, but I know that I by educating myself, changed my own life. And I just want other people to feel the gratefulness that I'm feeling. I want to pay it forward, if you will. I want to share the blessing that I am benefiting from with as many people as possible, because it's not specific to me. The treatments that I've tried will work on anybody. And it's just a matter of getting the word out. One of the other things I did was I started taking CBD oil from hemp. I had no idea, never heard of this, uh, had 
a big stigma in my mind about cannabis in general, whether it be hemp or marijuana. Hemp is the are the male plants of the cannabis plant, and marijuana is the female plant. Marijuana is the the one that college kids use and created the stigma about getting high. But marijuana has many fine benefits for helping with uh, seizures and pain, salt, spasms. But CBD is hemp. It does not get you high at all. It's just hemp oil. But what it does do, it's a, called a, this is a fancy word, a neuroprotectant. And that just means that it coats the brain cells. So people who have even like a fender bender, the TBI actually starts in the neck with the whiplash because it shakes the head back and forth and the brain has the sort of consistency of a firm jello mold. And so when it's shook, it bangs against the front and the back of the skull and you're going to have a concussion. And CBD oil will be a neuroprotectant that will protect you from that and at least lessen it at the very least. And it also reduces anxiety. It regulates your sleep cycles. It kills precancerous cells. I can't say enough things about CBD. And I take 25 milligrams in the morning and 25 at night, and all of a sudden my insomnia is cured. My muscle spasms are severely reduced. They're like a quarter of what they used to be. And my pain levels are down, all because of a few drops of oil from the plant. So again, I, I volunteer for Mixtopia as an organization that's trying to educate people about the benefits of CBD oil and don't don't be afraid. In what form do you take it when uh, you said these the drops? I of- use a the. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, a lot of people take things into the stomach because that's what we're used to in Western medicine. And that is not always the best place to absorb medicine. We're learning that now. I struggle with migraines every week and daily headaches. And it took me many years to finally realize there was a nasal spray, that I could be taking the medication through a nasal spray. And that was life-changing as well, that there's a lot of nausea that comes with TBI and with migraines. And taking medication in your stomach just makes it worse. And a lot of times you don't keep it down. You don't get the benefits of the medication. It just wasn't working. And nasal sprays work. So I take the CBD under my tongue and just, it's a little, you know, couple of drops of oil. And it's very concentrated. I get it in a syringe, not a needle, just like a plastic syringe, like you would use on a baby. And the syringe is marked out with little one through 10. And you just take your little piece of it to 25 milligrams and let it dissolve under your tongue and just don't eat or drink for a half an hour. And that's the best way for this to be absorbed into your body, not through the stomach. And as you said, you've seen remarkable changes to to your whole being. And many other people. But again, it's one-on-one. I I helped a guy with TBI in New Orleans and, and another person with PTSD that lives out of state through strength to strength. I have gotten the privilege of talking to many terrorist attack survivors with severe PTSD issues that are still trying to just go to their regular job and go do their regular life before the terrorist attack. And they just feel like they're failing. And 
then they write me back, you know, sometimes it takes years because there's such a stigma about cannabis. It takes years to get them to try it. And then they finally write me back after they try it and they're kicking themselves that they wasted years, just like me, wasted years being afraid to try because now they're sleeping. Now they're going back out and going out with friends again and being social again. And they feel like they have some control of their life back and, and it's amazing and it's so gratifying. But then again, it's one person and it's wonderful to be able to have the privilege to help one person. But if I could just speak to larger audiences and to medical professionals, how many people could those people help? Patience, right, Lynn? I'm not discounting that. What I'm thinking of, though, one person at a time, you can really so intently share what your experiences have been. That person then tells someone else. And it does still really reach a lot more people than you perhaps imagine. I certainly hope so. I call everybody's power on this earth the power of one, that we all are just one person, but you do have the power of one. And it's one person's power to hurt or to harm everybody they interact with all day long, every day. And we'll never get to know what we did with our power or how it affected people, but at least accept that it does. Every single person you pass on the sidewalk, every single person you talk to in the line for coffee or groceries or at the office, everybody is affected by you and your power all day long, every day. And you can have a bad day. Happy, And that's another thing I talk about. Happiness is a choice and it's not always a conscious one. But you need to start accepting that it's a choice and taking responsibility for the choice that you make every day, whether it's to be happy or not. And so you could go around the office all day long and just be in a bad mood. But you should accept that that's your choice, that you you need to change your perspective and find something to be grateful about. And that will help change your mood. And your mood will change the mood of everyone around you. It is definitely a domino effect. I stop many times a day now because I live in chronic pain. Some days can be very difficult. And whenever I'm having a difficult moment all day, every day, I just stop right where I am and mentally think of three things I have to be grateful for. Not big things like, oh, I'm alive. Oh, I have kids. Three things right there in that moment. You could look out the window and go, oh, it's pouring outside, and I'm in here dry and warm. That's one. I have a nice hot cup of tea in my hand. That's two. Oh, I kind of like the person that I work in the desk across. They have candy on their desk, and they're, they're nice to me. That's three. And suddenly you feel a little more relaxed, a little happier. You're a little calmer. It's a great technique. Just stop, drop, and name three things you're grateful for. And I think it's been proven, too, that having that attitude of gratitude really has an incredible healing effect on us. So thank you for pronouncing that as well, Lynn. And especially, you know, when you tell us and we understand that your life is one of chronic pain and it would be so easy to fall into that disabling area, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a tough one. The label of disability and disabled, people come up with all these cute little terms, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't use the other terms or that we shouldn't use the term disabled. It's just 
I don't, I think it's less about the words and more about the people. Some people like you to say differently able, and they think that somehow the word disabled is harmful. And I think that we give words far too much power in our society. We allow words to cause us pain. And that goes back to the happiness is a choice that all the person did was use a word and we choose how we react to it. We either choose to be happy or we choose to allow that word to cause us pain. And as soon as we realize that we have a choice, happiness is a choice, that takes back all your power, puts you back in the driver's seat, back in control where you can say, you know what, I don't care what word they said. I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm choosing to be happy. I just am so in admiration of you because dealing with what you have been dealing with over these nearly two decades, I feel that you really have a place to speak from and have us listen and if not necessarily take immediate action, you know, give it consideration. And I think one way is to read more of your story. We haven't really gotten into so much of it, but the story is available in this really incredible new book. It's just come out called Extraordinary Women, 10 Inspirational Stories. And in that, you are one of the 10 and you really share these important details of what's gone on in your life and I highly recommend it as I'm sure you do as well. Thank you so much. I was contacted by Kristen Bartsakis, the author, about this project and I really wasn't sure just based on the title but it really is a book about what we were just talking about, about gratitude and inspiration and choices, life choices that we hope will help others to see what I hope everybody in the book has come to see that happiness is a choice and that, as you said, the attitude of gratitude really does make a difference because when you're in these hard, these tough parts, the low points of your life, I think it's really dark, at least it was for me, and, and it was really hard to see the positive in anything. It was really hard to find light when you're in the darkness. And this book, what Kristen Bartsakis has done with Extraordinary Women is shine light on 10 individual lives who had the darkest moment of their life in 10 different ways. So she's hoping to reach all different kinds of people having different kinds of dark moments and have at least one story relatable to them specifically that shines a ray of light on, well, here's how one person got out of that dark space. And maybe you can take a little section from each of the 10 stories and go, well, that's a ray of light. That's a ray of hope. That might work. That might help me. Absolutely. And one other very important ray that you were shining for us, and you mention it in your story in the book, Extraordinary Women, is the nonprofit organization Strength to Strength. And you have spent time volunteering there. Uh, They do lots of great work. So we should mention their website. I just can't say enough good things about Sari Singer, the organizer, and Strength to Strength. It's Strength, T-O, Strength, and the web address is S-T-O-S, global, G-L-O-B-A-L, 
org, and it's global because it's an international organization. They have programs for adults, retreat gatherings to form support groups, and they have programs for children because kids don't want to sit around listening to old people talk. They tune it right out, and they're not going to get as much out of it, nearly as much out of it as if their peers were doing group activities and retreats with them. And Siri recognizes that. Strength to Strength is a nonprofit. All the money goes directly to the victims' families and the survivors that are being helped. And it is just a wonderful organization for any survivor of a terrorist attack or a family who lost a member to one. That is, to me, the go-to organization to get resources and the help to get your life moving forward again. So highly recommended then, along with this book, Extraordinary Women. And Lynn Julian, you are yourself an extraordinary and inspirational woman, just with so much guts and gumption. I just so appreciate who you are and that you've taken time with us this morning to really enlighten us. Oh, I'm so grateful to be given a voice, Kate. Thank you so much. And I just put out to the universe that we helped people today. Indeed we did. We have, and we'll continue to. Thank you so much.